Hi, this is Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Greg Mathis. He is president for Southern Poultry Research in Athens. Always good to see you, Greg. It's always a pleasure to be here. I remember you telling me years ago that the key to a healthy bird was a healthy gut. You still maintain that? Well, the biggest discussion in all of these subjects is yes, definitely that a healthy gut by controlling, obviously, we're going to talk about is coccidiosis and, and necrotic enteritis and, and enteric diseases. So um, it all starts with a healthy gut, and we can make sure that we have one and we can do good. Obviously, there are lots of operations now that are trying to manage coccidiosis differently simply because maybe they didn't have the same products that they had a few years ago, but obviously a lot of uh, the industry is trying to either back off or even eliminate uh, antibiotics. Are, are we learning anything more about controlling coccidiosis without antibiotics? Uh, the question of uh, can we control coccidiosis without antibiotics, and of course, yes we can. Uh, there are a lot of options, you know, just to, as far as the chemicals or the synthetic drugs, we still know that they're the most effective against coccidial control. While these uh, alternative type products, the saponins, the essential oils, the phytoceuticals, do have some anti-coccidial activities. They're good at supporting some other kind of product. So yeah, we can support the coccid control as much as what we're doing before is trying to, you know, almost manage it and. and putting a strong control, now we're just managing coccidic control. So it, it is an interesting combination. I want to come back to the alternative products, but uh, when we talk about the medications, I mean, there are the non-ionophore anti-coccidials, uh, there are the ionophores, which are technically antibiotics, and we have the vaccines. Um, have we learned to use the, the vaccines better because I know when they when they're handled correctly they can work extremely well but if, if they're not then uh, well I think what yeah, run yeah into some problems it's a good good question about how to managing you know how are we managing coxy vaccination and I think what we've learned is that you know that uh, the introductional phase when they dose them managing the brooding time is so critical how do you do that with the litter quality, litter moisture that's so variable across the country? Handling the vaccine, it's a live vaccine, it's gonna die if you don't use it in a certain period of time. So uh, I think we're understanding, yes, that it is critical that we get it applied correctly, get it cycling correctly, and then that, that first brooding time is, is, is almost imperative that we manage that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, about the brooding time. What have we learned about turning these birds out in the house and maintaining an optimum stocking density so that this vaccine is, is cycling at the right pace? Well, the best thing about, you know, the think about in brooding time is that, you know, if we turn them out at 10 to 12 days, you have, uh, Coxidia has a seven day life cycle, of course. So the first set of Coxidia that you dose them at the hatchery, comes out, it has a couple of days to sporulate, and these birds pick this back up. Well, the last thing that you want it to do is to again get that second dose of that same by confining them too long. So confining them too long is almost as bad as confined not long enough. Uh, one of the bigger issues that we have is with the smaller birds in that their stocking density is so tight that they can't brood but five to seven days. 
So in theoretically, we're not getting that first cycle to come in and then picking up the first cycle before we release them all the way across. But I think we've uh, managing that again by either half house brooding or just that they're stocking density. So I think again, we're understanding that yes, even though we all say that it's critical, but if they can manage the stocking density as well as maybe half, you know, doing it what they can for these small birds, easier for the bigger birds, obviously. Now, a lot of poultry companies that do use vaccination are now coming back with uh, what people call a bio-shuttle program where they can use either the non-ionophore anti-coccidial or even a, an ionophore if they like. What's been your experience with those programs? Well, I've given a lot of presentations on the bio-shuttles or if they want to call them a hybrid program. And again, it's where you're vaccinating and then at a certain period of time you're giving a, a uh, something to modulate the coccidiosis during that peak cycling, which is around two or three weeks of age. And then I've always promoted that, you know, this is really for those that may have an application issue that is really getting cycling, that's a good management tool. And uh, until they fully understand, and then quite often they will go to strictly vaccinating. But uh, products, and again, the alternatives are very good for being this somewhat managing, but uh, really the ones that you think of is more like zoline is probably a, the one that i would often recommend because it allows immunity development it's not going to completely kill the uh coccidia and so immunity develop and i think we're going to maybe talk about later is resistance development and that sort of thing because that's what everybody worries about is with using a chemical that you're going to get resistance I had always heard that you didn't want to use the synthetic products too long because they had a way of becoming, or the, the coccidial organisms would build up resistance to them pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, with more and more producers putting uh, the, the non-ionophore anti-coccidials into their feed and, and leaning more on those and not rotating them with ionophores, are we setting ourselves up for another problem here? Uh, well, you're setting up a problem if you're using too many synthetics and not using uh, repeatedly. But uh, the question that we might think of is, you know, more of what we were talking about in a bio shuttle is, do you even have resistance developed to something like zoline? And in actuality, I don't believe it's going to be very slow. The selection pressure, because it's not a complete control, with zoline, it's going to be slower. You're also putting a vaccine that has drug-sensitive strains, so you're really populating there, and that zoline is going against that repopulation, so you're repopulating, repopulating. So the resistance to it would be very, fairly slow to come around. So I don't think it's a really a danger that we're getting resistance development by using something like zoline in, in a well, maybe not with program. that particular medication, but. You know, I know with some of the other so-called chemicals that, that has been a, a, an issue, is that a concern? Well, if you used uh, some of the others, you know, in a straight program or a rotation program, because they are so powerful that they were gonna kill almost all the coccid that is there, the only population that's left is somewhat resistant. Resistance doesn't come about by a mutation, it comes by selection of a pre-existing uh, 
organism that can live in that environment with that drug. And so, uh, again, it's just a numbers game. You know, the more coccidia that's out there, the less, more chance of coccidia resistance. And uh, that's why, you know, you can tell a difference if you put a certain drug in a starter phase versus a grower phase. There's more coccidia in a grower than there is in a starter. And so, you know, if you want to really save a particular drug, you'd go in a starter. Uh, but again, you know, uh, the most logical thing, again, is to vaccinate and use drug chemical and rotate to do them and rest them. So uh, we can manage them and it is important. What in your mind is the future for ionophores in the poultry industry? I really believe that someday that it'll, they will come back. I promote that I think, you know, we do a lot of anticoxidal sensitivity testing for different companies. You will notice in a lot of those tests that we are leaving out the ionophores out of the sensitivity testing. And we talked about it last year, I think, is that my belief is that the resistance to it is not gonna be as stable and that we should really continue to test and see if by not using it, that this product, you know, is gonna get back to the original efficacy that it had. And that'll be really exciting. And I think if people said, oh man, this is really a good product, then we might push it to back into where, because it's not a, a human antibiotic, obviously. And so, yeah, we could, I'm hoping that once we show that it's really effective, that in, and also that it uh, will drive us to using it again, because of just, we don't have a limited number of products that we have. So I'm optimistic. You've done a lot of work with alternative products. Uh, any particular group of products that's exciting you right now? Well, I gave a presentation the other day, and in the middle of my presentation, I stopped and said that, you know, uh, it was, I give this bubbles of all these different kind of products and what we're trying to do in managing gut health. And in that presentation, I said, we should be just all poultry scientists. And that now, because I was giving a presentation on a nutritional product, in a veterinary conference, and uh, so a parasitologist, nutrition, and a veterinary conference. So we were blending them all together, and I was trying to show that it really, we have to be a poultry science, we have to understand all of these interactions. But the uh, biggest thing that we're looking at right now, obviously, is nutrition, zinc, and some of those just minerals, amazing results that we've gotten, some of those. But the saponins, the essential oils, the uh, tannins of all getting a lot of work, the butyric acid, and uh, we've done a number of number of studies in Clostridium and in, in, in that, but that's more bacterial. The saponins and the essential oils have some anticoxidial, so they're really pretty good. But a question there I got the other day, um, it was resistance to those. Really? Are we going to develop resistance to them? And I don't believe that we are either because it's not, again, a, such a strong selection pressure that you're not going to get uh, to use them. And again, I think that they're using them with vaccines. And again, the same thing that I was talking about with Zoline is that we're repopulating it with a vaccine and coming back in. And, and uh, so not a strong selection pressure, a lot of coccidia sensitivity and repopulating. So I think it's an exciting world. And of those, it's great to hear that those products are, are doing well in some of your trials, but what about
consistency? Because I've always heard that, well, they look good in this trial, but then we can't repeat the results in the field. Well, that is a problem with, uh, you know, we understand drugs and, and approved, FDA approved anacoxidials is something I always have promoted, but, uh, and I'm going to continue to promote it because there is a clear difference between the control you get for an FDA approved drug versus these alternatives. Uh, and again, you know, we talk about the essential oils because even I heard a presentation the other day, you know, they say, well, they have a pure product, but it sometimes has a little more of this and has a little more of that. Or are the saponins coming from one source to another and, and, and they're actually a blend of 50 different saponins. And, and so I think that does lead to having an issue of why they are variable results. But there's obviously a stress factors of the environment of coxie's always different and, and clostridiums are different. So yeah, it's, it's almost a little too much to say that they're failing it could be something else altogether, but product purity is really has always been a question with some of these. We know that coccidiosis is certainly a year-round disease, but we tend to see less coccidial pressure in the summer months because the houses are open, you've got better ventilation, you don't have the uh, the same recurring problems with, with litter moisture and so forth. Um, what, what have we learned about the seasonal approaches to coccidiosis management? Well, like you just said, yes, most of the time we think of you know, using uh, summertime vaccination programs, again, mainly because there's less stress from the coccidia. And uh, it gives the opportunity, obviously, to switch off of uh, our limited number of drugs. So I think we've learned to do that. Uh, again, all my, always my biggest fear, of course, is that we've gone to certain type products in the wintertime and we've used them and used them over and over and there's other products that have, such as nicarbazine example, that have those in them and that we can't, we need to understand the rotation of that. And so by having those vaccines, having some summertime control, resting them, it does help. It's not a savior, but it, you know, we gotta save them what a little bit we can we'll, is good. Sounds like a good plan. We've been talking to Dr. Greg Mathis from Southern Poultry Research in Athens, Georgia. Always a pleasure, Greg, thank you. Thank you, thank you for having me.